okay, so we're going to talk about mental performance. What I'm going to do is, uh, Elena, I'll ask you first. You're the mental performance consultant. Correct. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> mental performance consulting really is we just work on performance-enhancing techniques. So we're trying to help the athlete in their mental side of the game. Uh, we're, our whole goal here at the Canadian Sport Institute Calgary is to get those podium performances, and this is one aspect of that. So we work on... Anything from goal setting, motivation, emotional arousal, um, time management, a <laughs> whole lot of those kinds of things, just so we can get those best performances out of our athletes. Um, are you a life coach for an athlete? No. Okay. <laughs> so there are a few different terms that are, that are thrown around. There are some buzzwords here. Um, there are some courses you can take to become a life coach. Uh, we're uh, here as mental performance consultants. We're certified by the Canadian Sports Psychology Association. Okay. Um, so you need to have at least a Master of Science degree for that. And uh, we're separate from registered psychologists. We're provincially registered. Oh, okay. So while um, a lot of us have the same training as a licensed psychologist, we just haven't registered. Okay. So we find oftentimes in sport you can see both, but we're working here as mental performance consultants. Okay. So, M- Melissa, I'm going to bring you into this conversation. Um, you're an athlete. Yes. What makes this attractive to you? Where, where does this help you or has it helped you? It's been huge. As we said before, it is about high-performance mental training. And as a bobsled athlete, my sport comes down to hundredths of a second. Mm. I've lost a race by a hundredth of a second. I've lost a world championship title by three hundredths of a second. Okay. And to put that into perspective, like the average blink of an eye is three-tenths of a second. So a hundred times faster than that. So literally like everything counts and the difference of where your head's at on a given day can be up to even a 10th. So that's massive. So being able to make sure that you're taking care of the lifestyle stuff, making sure day of you are ready to Mm -hmm. perform. It's massive. It's a huge part of that integrated support team of being able to perform at the highest level. So were you right from the get go enthusiastic about the help or did on some level did something need to be proven to you to see the value in it I think I saw the value right away and me and Elaine actually we connected really easily right from go Um, I have an interesting I guess sport background in that in 2014 when I switched from track and field to the sport of bobsled Mm -hmm. I went from zero to 100 being thrown in the two-time Olympic champion sled for like the first World Cup race. I had watched that on TV only nine months prior. So I had this massive learning curve and being able to have people like that in my back corner that were helping me adjust to these things. What does it mean to be high performance? What does it look like to be on the road for months at a time away from your support system? All these kinds of things. And on top of that, I'm an outward processor. To have somebody to process that with was just a massive asset. Okay, for the benefit of our listeners, explain that. Outward processor. I guess so for me, instead of like, I guess, musing on things by myself, like in order to like work through problems and stuff like that, I either like talking about it Mm -hmm. or journaling about it. Or this year, actually, for the Olympic year, I upgraded my journal to an art book. So I actually painted sometimes (laughs) to try and process things. Now, is that so, so Elaine, is that something you would identify right away? Is that something that you know, you found out about Melissa and, and said, okay, so this is the path. Where, where does yeah. that kind of processing come in? Yeah, we often do some personality profiling. And, uh, you know, the year before the Olympics, we were fortunate enough to go to the Olympic lab here in Calgary. And they did some in-depth personality profiling there. So Melissa found that she was an empathetic, emotional person. We knew that already, um, mm-hmm. but kind of having that on paper uh, actually was a little bit hard to accept in the beginning. Is that right? 
yeah, in a sense, like bobsled, maybe high performance sport in general is this mm -hmm. like rah, 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 like pedal to the metal. Um, I will not cry. I will fight to the death um, kind of feeling. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's just sport culture in general. But as a more emotional, empathetic person, I think like having it on paper that I was a bit of a round peg in a square hole and trying to figure out like, okay, so what does high performance look like for me? Because it's going to look different for me than it looks like uh, for my teammates or the people around me and trying to identify those things was, um, yeah. it was both like freeing, but it was also a challenge. It was kind of scary as well because, uh, Melissa's first year in bobsleigh, she was one of two girls on the tour, um, in, mm -hmm. with our team. So I think there was something like 12 to 16 men and, uh, mm -hmm. two females. And so obviously mm -hmm. we know, uh, males and females process things differently. Um, not to completely stereotype, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was a little different yeah. for Melissa to say, okay, this it's going to be really different. I don't maybe necessarily have those, the girlfriends that she would have at home or that other kind mm -hmm. of support team at home. So we really wanted to make sure we're building an appropriate support around her, uh, both at home and what can she do on the road herself to so, make sure she has that outlet. So one gender question, and I'll get back to both of you. Does that, because they process things differently, does that, make the adoption of you know the service or the, the help different for male and female well we sometimes sometimes uh, everyone's different but we have seen kind of some different stigmas in different sports so okay. um, even though we know that years and years ago um, hockey was really early to adopt the field of sports psychology there was still a lot of pushback and mm -hmm. so I think one of the biggest things to recognize is that you don't need to have something wrong with you to seek mental training support. It's just getting to that next level. And that's what we were really working on here is mm -hmm. that um, we're, it's a high performance training. So you might be at a specific level and we're just trying to get that little bit more out of you. And everyone needs more help. Uh, some people need more help than others, but we're just working on those little tiny things to make those boosts happen. Mm -hmm. So you, you still deal with that stigma that somebody says, oh, yep. you're going to go to sports psychology. Oh, there must be something wrong yep, with you. I didn't get that from Melissa. Mm -hmm. I just got from no. you that, okay, <laughs> yeah. th this is going to help me. Yeah. Right. But there's still that stigma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We still see some of that. Um, sometimes as a female mental trainer, we'll, we'll have some of that stigma come in if I'm working with an all male team. Um, but you just got to prove yourself and let the yeah. show the results. And once the results come, people kind of get that buy-in really quickly. Okay. So take me back to the first time the two of you came together. <laughs> do you remember our first meeting? I, I don't know if I do. We got connected through the uh, Canadian Sport Institute here in Calgary. Um, I think I was talking to some of our resource people here and uh, working with Bobsled Canada and saying, I think this will be an asset. I've okay. had the privilege of working with different mentors in different areas of my life and I just I kind of saw I guess the the sports psychology piece as a almost like a mentorship piece to be able to like mm -hmm. work through those mm -hmm. things and help me achieve my goals in sport like how mentors in other areas of my life had mm -hmm. been beneficial to help me um, achieve goals whether that was during school in I don't know faith or right. anything like that mm -hmm. so um, I, it was something we sought out but I don't remember even how or when we got paired up exactly I, I don't necessarily <laughs> remember our first meeting but really what we're doing in that in those initial sessions is first of all some of that personality profile but also really finding out what those performance indicators are all right yeah and I think that's the most important part for us was finding out um, where are we need what are we needing to boost a little bit and what are some things that maybe we haven't D dove into before at all totally, to recognize yeah. uh, w where are we lacking in some areas to make sure we can boost those up yeah because i think it was two years out from the games two years started from the games, yeah. working together yeah. so is it test yeah. is it testing or conversation we can do some testing but uh, yeah. we focus mostly on conversation okay. didn't we yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so we I recognized some of those performance indicators and said okay here are our top priorities for this mm -hmm. season and then we reevaluate all the time based yeah. on current events what's happening right mm -hmm. now what do we need to shift and a um, lot of it was sharing my story with you as yeah. well just like this has been my sport experience within bobsled 
um, the past like two years, this Olympic cycle so far. These are my goals. Like, so if it was, yeah, year three, going into year three, like I had come off an amazing season. Mm -hmm. We were nine for nine on the podium, including a silver at world champs and um, the overall title. So it was like, okay, yeah, like we're good, but how do we make sure that we're great? Okay. So that was the conversation basis. Yeah. So um, let me okay, let me ask it this way: You meet, you, you assess. What do we? St- how often are you meeting? How often are you connecting? How are you connecting? Well, depending on the time in the season, because Melissa's on the road so much on that World Cup tour, right. mm-hmm. um, we try to front load a little bit. So early in the season, we might be meeting once a week, once every two weeks. And then as she's on the road, we're phoning, we're Skyping, we're doing okay. something through distance. <laughs> uh, and it's and it's often, you know, a time difference struggle a little bit here and there. Oh, totally. Um, particularly yeah. at the Olympics. But sometimes on that World Cup tour as well, we're eight, 10 hours difference. But we just, uh, we plan those out and we make it happen. And then Sometimes surprise things comes up, and we just we make sure that we're available. Totally, yeah. <laughs> so we can we can Thank work you. through those. So, so trust. How quickly does that develop? It strikes me as somebody who's enthusiastic and going to accept this that you were probably very trustful fairly quickly of what was going on. I think the trust between us happened quickly. Um, in other instances, it takes a little while. Yeah. I uh, I started working with the team a couple of years ago, and I had a coach say to me. Uh, I'm not interested in sports psychology. I don't like it. I've I've never, you know, I worked with one person that I liked. And, and I said, okay, well, just give me a shot. Can I have your team for one hour? And then by the end of that hour, uh, I recognized he was actually filming the session. And then he came up after and said, okay, can I share this with their parents? Can I do this? This is cool stuff. Okay. So I think, again, it's that stigma around it that yeah. people are sometimes nervous to jump in and accept it. But with Melissa, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty instant. We just started chatting right away. and Yeah, I think we saw the value and we connected really easily as as people and that's what face-to-face is so important I think uh, we really had to build that relationship face-to-face before we were able Mm -hmm. to you know talk on the phone uh, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes before a world cup run to be able to say okay I know what my plan is Uh, I certainly wouldn't jump in and do that with someone without having built that relationship first so how do you manage the relationship in in regards to the rest of your support system um, you mentioned coaches. Mm-hmm. Where does the mm-hmm. d- does the coach have? Does your coach have a role to play in this? Does your 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 partner totally? Add, and like you know? we talked about that in person system too. So it's also like Elaine's a massive resource, but she's not with me on tour all the time. Yeah. So who are those people on tour? Okay, uh, with me when I'm competing. I don't know, in the backwoods of Germany somewhere, yeah, 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 you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so identifying those people, and often those are either coaches or they're, we travel with therapists full-time, so whether that's uh, different pieces of that integrated support team, identifying those people. Mm-hmm. And it's massive. Like, all sports, I feel like they're, they could, they're dramas, essentially, mm-hmm. unfolding week after week. And right. so being able to have uh, people on that mental performance side there with you, and often that is a coach talking about different things or problems or... Um, plans, goals, those kinds of things. Uh, but also just in terms of like the coaches knew what we were working on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We kept them in the loop. Like they knew that we're, we were meeting and we let them know to what extent we thought was required um, in terms of like this is what we're moving towards. But all of this is based on human relationships. I'm wondering about is there issues of, of jealousy or is a coach ever concerned that, you know, Melissa might be in, you know sharing information with you that, 
boy, I could use that if I only knew that, or even, you know, <laughs> you know, even your partner, you know, the partner yeah. in this case, yeah. you know, yeah. is, do you have to deal with those kind of interpersonal? We issues? certainly have had those instances in, in some different sports that we haven't mm-hmm. run into that, but in some other sports, sometimes I'll have a coach say, well, they tell you, why don't they tell me this? Right. And I said, well, that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. the point <laughs> okay. to yeah. tell me this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And an important part to note is that, um, what we chat about is confidential on my side. So mm-hmm. even though we have those integrated support team meetings weekly or biweekly or monthly with a lot of different, uh, with our different resources and our experts in the field, I'm not able to share what Melissa tells me, right? So right. I keep that in confidence. But on the other hand, Melissa's able to share whatever she likes. So she's able to open up to her coach as much as she wants. And she happens to be a bit of an open book. So, <laughs> so th- that wasn't a particular struggle sure. for us or for her coach. But uh, we have run into that in the past in terms of mental performance consulting. How, how much of the work, how much of the communication between you is about, you know, starts or, you know, things that are away from the, the event itself? How much of it is... You know, hmm. your human experience as opposed to your, your we did athletic a lot experience. Of both, actually. Both, yeah. <laughs> so we did look at the lifestyle things because that's obviously your foundation or your building blocks mm-hmm. to being able to have a great performance. Uh, and we dealt with a lot of things in terms of like either was, whether it was time management or uh, a funny one, actually. We spent probably like hours talking about sleep because <laughs> I am the night owl of all night owls <laughs> that we, we recognize that very early as a performance indicator of that right. something we really needed to work on so yeah so and it was it was one of those things we set a, set a sleep goal actually going into the olympic year where i was supposed to try and sleep 10 hours a night uh so which is which we saw in training in performance mm-hmm. it was an indicator and so sure. we had all these different strategies so there was that holistic health side but then we also talked about like okay so pre-race routines what does that look like mm, uh yeah. pushing a sled what does that feel like if it was a color we actually being like tapping into that emotional artistic side of me yeah if it was a color what color would pushing mm-hmm. be um, what, what is that feeling what things. is that emotion yeah. yeah and even little things like power posing so yeah. one of the things we talked about was how physiologically uh certain positions that you put your body in sends a signal to your brain that like, okay, this is a confident position. This is a power position. Hmm. And so adapting some of that into like quickly put on my race suit and then I would take a couple minutes before we would head out to the start line, just like standing in a confident position and it just kind of... Breathing. Yeah, breathing, putting your brain, your body into it. And so uh, that was just a really simple piece that was, yeah, talking about that's what it looks like to be start-wise. We did mental reps in terms of technique. But... Of course, the technical part of it—that's where the coaching comes in. Right. It's funny because I—I I, I was interested in whether or not there was an issue with you know maybe jealousy in terms of the relationship. But now I want to know if you are used as a conduit to to help Melissa get through it. You bring up sleep. I talked to the nutritionist earlier, and we were mm-hmm. talking about sleep. Mm-hmm. Are you used at all as a, a, a way of getting to Melissa and getting information to her? Oh, yeah, for sure. Some, yeah. I'll often have coaches come to me and say, uh, or our physiologists say, hey, um, we're looking at, they do daily monitoring. Yeah. Something's a little off on their monitoring. You right. know, their sleep's really dipped. Um, are they getting sick? Are they in finals? You know, in university, is it uh, is it a World Cup coming up? Are they nervous? Uh, you know, family issues, anything outside. So um, sometimes a physiologist will come and say, something's a little off. Can you check in? Mm-hmm. And so then I'm able to go and ask that question. They'll often ask those questions too. And depending on that relationship, if they feel open and comfortable mm-hmm. to do so, they'll certainly let them know. I, um, I, so yeah, we work with the coaches on that. So I'm sure every interaction is important, but for the relationship that you two have, do you find that there are longer, deeper conversations prior to events, during events, after events? 
Well, we, we front loaded as much as we could. Yeah, so yeah. when we first got together and, and uh, pre-tour, we would meet more often. And our meetings, you generally uh, a, a session in, in the field of sports psychology is about 50 to 60 minutes. And we would always go 90 <laughs> minutes at least. So, so I just I'm started booking that <laughs> time. We would always go late. So I just started booking 90 minutes for Melissa. <laughs> but again, she's an outward processor. She's a talker. So yeah. that was good. It was, yeah, it was a great yeah. way to get that to get that information out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we started uh, making a little bit more yeah. time early on. And even on. with that stuff like uh towards getting closer to the season we would identify okay these kind of problems might come up on tour like how do we deal with them like we talked about um for instance like the holistic lifestyle stuff so whether it was sleep time or one of the things we talked about is me time Mm -hmm. it's like you can carve out me time at home in your own space but what does it look like when you are on the road for three months sharing a room with somebody (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's so important because yeah. because we we can drive each other crazy in small uh, small areas and yeah. uh, on the road for so long. But yeah. but really, what we tried to do is front load that so that Melissa had the tools when she was there yeah. on her own. So and be proactive about those conversations. Yeah, like, what could like what kind of problem solving things like can we do ahead of time? So we know this may happen. What are we going to do about it if that happens? So right. so we yeah. tried to give those tools early on, but of course still connected on the road. So Melissa, we'd even have lists in her phone uh, that she could look at <laughs> anytime to say, okay, me time, I need something. What is it? And she would have, there was a funny story that she's actually a beautiful pianist and she found a piano in a hotel in St. Moritz and would go play in the lobby uh, a lot. <laughs> and yeah. that was something that was her me time or it might be Every painting. Every so often or... people clapped after. And I was like, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> or it might be, you know, painting or drawing or journaling or right. uh, or Melissa's faith played a big role her devotions yeah. uh, so she had a whole bunch of different things on that list of me time mm-hmm. uh, it can't just be one thing it's it's what resources do you have in that moment and how can you utilize those to your advantage interesting yeah. cross-section of science and faith mm-hmm. how, yeah. do, how do you is that a difficult path is that is that naturally in this me, context natural um yeah. like i would say faith is a very much a part of who i am um, right. as a person yeah and as an athlete like i don't know i'm this weird mix of like emotional but i also have this very logical mm-hmm. side to mm-hmm. me and i do much appreciate like the science and mm-hmm. um love learning more about it and so for me it was um I don't know, it was a beautiful, I guess, cross-section of yeah. it. And it was something that, like, my faith was able to, I guess, coming back to the science piece, it provided that bigger perspective often, mm-hmm. um, being like, okay, like, it is important that we win this race, but I'm not going to be publicly flogged <laughs> if, if sure. we don't, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, as, a, as a clinical person, mm-hmm. is that a, a difficult road to navigate? You know, this No, I, I think uh, everyone's different. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, ethically and culturally, we see so many differences in a lot of our mm-hmm. different athletes and clients. Uh, and it can be, it's anything from religion, race, sexual orientation. Uh, we see such a wide range of that. Sure. And and uh, we just need to be uh, tolerant, opening, uh, mm-hmm. open and accepting and, and make sure that we, we are allowing them to be who they are. Yeah. And, and I think being that authentic self about, is important. Yeah, it's something we talked about like mm-hmm. right from the get-go because mm-hmm. it was such a foundational piece to who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ray, as soon as we were talking about um, yeah, like that personality profiling, but also when we talked about goals and we talked about motivation, mm-hmm. um, like the goal for sure was to go and win gold as often <laughs> as we possibly could. Sure. Yeah. But like there, for me, there had to be that bigger holistic piece. And so faith often played a part of that. Like, how do you compete for something greater than gold? And mm-hmm. so they're often like faith kind of tied back into, um, both, I guess, like the character values. And those are things that we wanted to make sure going up. Uh, into the games with the pressure cooker of 
everything that's happening. <laughs> like I found out two days before the opening ceremonies who's I was competing with. So that just kind of <laughs> puts like a little oh, bit sure. in terms of like what Olympic gear looks like in terms of jo- like the jockeying for positions and the pressure cooker of it all. And like talking about the the faith, the values, all that kind of stuff right from go was um, something we were able to lay out. So we were able to kind of just come back to those pieces and be like, okay, so either this is going well or this isn't going well. Uh, how does this align with your your bigger values, those ultimate values? And so faith, growth, um, being able to give back, yeah. being able mm-hmm. to like act with integrity, all those kinds of things were things that were like, hey, these are no compromise. Yeah, and I think going back between that, that faith and that logical side, there are so many things that you're controlling in your own training environment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's so many things you're not controlling in a competitive environment. And we train so much more often than we compete, so it seems a little bit backwards for us. So how can we make sure we're controlling those controllables? And, and that's where yeah. we get back to that logical piece so often is how do we go through logical thinking what can I control in this moment? Mm-hmm. I might not know who I'm racing against in two days, totally. but what do I? What can I do for myself? What What can I make sure, or how can I make sure that I'm at my best? Are you? You said that you know that that whole idea of not knowing who you're competing with until two days before. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of if you had not been working through this, if you'd not had those tools, what that experience might have been like for you? <laughs> it was a hard experience, like. <laughs> Whatever way you go about well, it. Exactly, right? <laughs> um, but being able to have like those those people and those systems in place, it just kind of brought you back to some sanity <laughs> in the midst of chaos. Comfort, I think. We, yeah. we kind of look for yeah. we look for comfort in, in mm-hmm. any different areas of our life. And I think having a, that uh, integrated support team or those key people on the road essentially works as a security blanket. Yeah, totally. You know, that, that's, and that's a lot of it too, like that the holistic lifestyle stuff that we had worked yeah. so much on. Yeah. It was being able to make sure that I was at this capacity to be able to cope uh, with whatever things mm-hmm. come my way. Because being an emotional person, sure, I'm taking on the emotions of whatever happens to come at me, but I'm right. also incredibly empathetic. So mm-hmm. it like for me, being able to be at this capacity to cope with my teammates' emotions and to be able to effectively deal w- with that because often I'll take on their feelings. Like. Right, and, and, one, and that, one of the main things we worked on was emotional arousal. So how do we control yeah. that? Um, and so we went through, you know, a whole bunch of tips and tricks and mm-hmm. two years of it of, uh, yeah. of what can we do right now to make things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And instead of, of absolutely changing the world or going from a, a lot of people when they're nervous, they say, OK, I have to push those nervous away. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Mm-hmm. But essentially what we want is to accept it and then control it a little bit. Well, there's a yeah. sweet spot there, isn't there? Yep. Um, yeah. That the, one of the things that I've learned is that y- you should be anxious, you should be nervous. But there comes a point in time where that art goes away from for performance, right? Yeah, yeah, and I can actually see you doing it with your hand. It's called the Yerkes-Dodson curve, right. or that inverted U hypothesis. And, yeah. and really, there is sort of what we see is that sweet spot. Generally, in the middle, of course, every sport and every person is different. Sure. But but we had to find uh, not only what works for Melissa, but also how to get her there. Yeah. And so that was, I think, really important is finding out. So let's say you want to be a five on that scale. How are we going to get you to a five yeah. if we're thinking about those numbers? And it's interesting, right? Because it's one of those things, like, as an emotional person, values-wise, but also performance-wise, it mm-hmm. was like, mm-hmm. I want to to be able to be and embrace those different emotions, but I didn't want him to be debilitated by them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. it would have been easy to come into this conversation. The, t- the title is, you know, the Mental Performance Toolbox. Well, let's talk about tools, but it, it seems to me it's not that black and white practical. Correct. When, like, no. I can, like give me your list humans. of, yeah, <laughs> give me your list of tools. That, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, oh, but, there's a list, but there's a whole lot of different oh, yeah. ways to get there. But, right? but it's simple things, as we've heard in this conversation. It's the journaling. It's, oh, totally, it's, yeah. it's having the list on the phone. It's, mm-hmm, these are, mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. not, you know, they're not some sort of, you know, ob- uh, obscure scientific, you know, here, pull this chart out and look. Right, right. It really is about 
giving Melissa mm-hmm. things about, that yeah, that yeah. that she believes in. Well, it's about knowing yourself and then yeah. also being able to work from that space to be able to yeah. perform. Yeah. yeah well, I think well, yeah, I think knowing yourself, but also I think that you mentioned that trust earlier. I think that was such mm-hmm. an important part for Melissa to say, "Hey, okay, this sounds really weird, but I'm going to try it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. and having that I trust, in, and I had yeah. to trust in her that she would do it. Yeah. And then for her to come back and say, "Oh my God, I did that. That was so cool. It worked. Uh, yeah. I want to try that yeah. again." I mean, and that then, was really neat. Yeah. So like less than a hundred days before the opening ceremonies, my body decided to uh, go a little hectic and stop cooperating with me, <laughs> and so. Talking about that trust piece again, we had to walk through trust on a whole different level when I was sidelined for three to four World Cup races uh, in the second half of the season going into the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting because it kind of put all those things into like hyperdrive being like the things I could control seem to be getting less and less. I'm like, I can't even control my own body right now. (laughs) This sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, And working through that. And so the trust piece was a theme not only in like being able to um, I guess, execute and try different things. But also, like, there was this theme of being able to trust the process and trust the yeah. training. And so we talked a lot about that confidence piece, about yeah. being able to be like, no, I've put in the training. My body knows what to do. Right now, my job is to control, like do what I can do and control with working with um, my integrated support team to talk with coaches, to talk with therapists, to talk with Elaine about the mental performance side, yeah. to prepare myself because once my body's back where it, it can be and should be, it's it's go time. Yeah, and, and that, that's why it. Melissa was so fortunate to have people here at the Canadian Sport Institute Calgary. It was she has these people around her that can really support. So she was working with her physiologist and physiotherapist and massage therapist and myself and her coaches and and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of working to, together for a common goal. And I think that was so so important because uh, as a side note, Melissa loves puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> She's a bit of a puzzle junkie, and, uh, and I think she seems to come by it honestly because she said her family is the same way. Um, and it's a bit of a strange quirk with her, but we've embraced it. Uh, that was also part of the me time thing. It's very relaxing for her, and she enjoys yeah. it. And there's also a little sense of accomplishment. And I remember um, being in the holding camp. You were in a hotel downtown. Mm-hmm. Your body's not cooperating. Panic sets in. What am I controlling? I remember going out and finding this canadian puzzle and dropping it off at her hotel and just like yeah. hey the foundation the pieces are there yeah, yeah. pieces are there you the know this you've done me this and my roommate had we finished in i think a day and a half <laughs> so she found a more challenging larger one yeah, for us that's true. <laughs> what will happen when you stop being an athlete what will the disconnect be like is that going to be difficult for you or are you going to be prepared i mean you're an adult but i don't want to yeah. but it's not like you're getting kicked out of the nest mm-hmm. but you know, you have such a great, strong bond, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying for a second that that would go away. But when you stop being an athlete, mm-hmm. how difficult is that going to be to walk away? Uh, it, I guess it's one of those things that's hard to know until you're in that space. Sure. Even like going through this post-Olympic period, it's interesting because you don't realize how incredibly focused and tunnel vision you are, working towards mm-hmm. this one goal, and then you kind bet. of yeah. march, turns around, and you're kind of like heads up and you're like wow the world is my oyster and that's overwhelming (laughs) and I don't know what I'm doing and like having to go through that process of like refocusing and setting goals and we did some work luckily in this season ahead of time to be able to be like what does this summer look like right and Mm -hmm. things what what is post because oftentimes we see a bit of a post-olympics crash Mm -hmm. um where people do feel quite down so we made we made sure to have a plan for that and and in the bigger picture we make sure to have a plan for that kind of that life sport balance too we've we've had athletes with uh career-ending injuries and then they go well what now you know they don't have they've identified so strongly as an athlete that 
um, that's who that's essentially what what is completely identifying them and they don't have necessarily uh, other pieces to that puzzle around them so you know that education or the family or the friends or that support team mm-hmm. outside of them because they put so much time and energy into that sport where they realize who mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty lopsided here so we really try to work on that life sport balance yeah. so that we we make sure that you're not just yeah this totally season focused. it's like it's been a process like mm-hmm. working through what do new goals look like all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and I would assume at the same time like end of my career is going to be similar it's going to be hard to shut that door but yeah. at the same time it's going to be working through that process and falling back on those values because the reality is is sports not who I am it's what I do and uh luck I've been really fortunate to be able to grow as a person and to be able uh to use sport as this right. amazing I guess platform yeah. but uh, it's not it's not who I am like the things that are greater than that that we were able to identify yeah talking about yeah. growth yeah. talking about being able to give back talking about relationships and those are the things that I guess once you get to that retirement piece that you're like okay we need to revisit these things yeah. what does it look yeah. like in this new season with this new vehicle whatever that may be right and also those tools carry you through other aspects of your life as well I've mm-hmm. had I've had uh, you know people uh, high up in the banking world say hey you worked with my son you know he's a squash athlete or whatever it might be can you help me in these meetings and so we really recognize yeah. that a lot of this is performance psychology it's not That's just true. for sport yeah. and so I think uh, mm-hmm. uh, whatever Melissa chooses to do after sport she's going to have a lot of these tools in her toolbox yeah. already so she can you know going for a job interview she'll be able mm-hmm. to to use that emotional arousal control to kind of get where she needs to be to best perform in that too. That performance on the, uh, I guess the power posing we talked about earlier, I think initially when we introduced it, you had me watch a TED Talk. Yeah. And it was actually a TED Talk that was based on some science around performance, uh, like the power posing, but going into job interviews. It wasn't anything to do with sport <laughs> sure. actually. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, so these tools, it's exciting because you are, it is a building into yourself piece. It's not just a... Yeah. let's push a bobsled faster let's go crush it and win gold it's a yeah let's excel within this sphere but learn how to excel at life and I think all those little things we do a debrief at the end of each run you know what worked what didn't what do we do next and uh that's something we use everywhere in life so hey how did that go oh (laughs) what should I do about it can I redo it can I do something about it Mm -hmm. unfortunately in sport we can't redo it Uh, and then where are we going from here on what can I learn from that so I think that debrief process is really important as well 